Now in a uh, timely fashion, I will read our first scripture of the morning. (laughs) It comes to us uh, from Matthew's gospel, uh, first in chapter 24 and then over in the chapter 25. Words of Jesus. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what your day, on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Now into Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I sort of launch us into things just a bit, I'll uh, begin by posing a question. How many of you uh, remember Y2K right at the end of 1999? Sure you do. Lots of you do. It was a time, if you remember, of great fear because it was believed that because of this kind of quirky computer glitch, terrible things were going to happen to us, like railroad signal crossing lights were going to malfunction, air traffic controller screens were suddenly going to go blank, or the international banking system was going to go haywire, throwing us all into economic chaos. Some people at the time responded to the fear of being bitten by that Y2K bug by stocking up on supplies like water and canned goods. It is said that the uh, Coleman Camping Supply Company had a spike in sales as people were purchasing survival kits, tents, generators, lanterns, flashlights. It was even said that the IRS might lose track of people. (laughs) There's always an upside to any disaster, right? It does remind me of the ad that I saw in, a, in the newspaper. It was for a clothing store, and it said, the world will end tomorrow. And then underneath it said, only one shopping day left. Well, surrounding all of that millennial hysteria at that time was a popular Christian book series titled Left Behind. It sold 80 million copies from 1995 to 2007. Now, here we are with COVID and natural disasters, wars and rumors of wars, other calamities going on in the world, and there seems to be a fascination once again with the end times. 
fact, according to a Pew Research study, almost 15% of Americans, that's one in seven, believe that the world will end or be destroyed in just a few years. It might be due to a nuclear war. It might be due to climate change. It could be due to a zombie apocalypse or an alien invasion from outer space. But something is going to happen, many people believe. Well, if you're not familiar with the Left Behind series, in the opening pages, three of the main characters are on an airplane when half of the passengers disappear. Now, fortunately, for the remaining passengers on the plane, the pilot happens to be an unbeliever. But meanwhile, traffic on the roads come to a standstill as Christian drivers simply vanish from their cars. And then in another scene, there's this unbelieving dad, and he's talking with his wife and daughter. He turns his head away for a moment. He turns back, and they're gone. All that's left is this small pile of clothes. He has been left behind. One of the things that I've learned in teaching the Wednesday night Bible study is that the book of Revelation is no picnic. In fact, Bruce Metzger, who's the author of the Breaking the Code, the curriculum that we've been using, writes this. The book of Revelation contains passages of great beauty and comfort, as well as passages that strike the casual reader as bizarre, bewildering, and sometimes frightening. Well, I'm going to try to take a stab today at trying to help us better understand this profusion of confusion about the end times and Jesus' return. So I invite you to join me as I read from the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Again, you can follow along on the screen. John, exiled to the island of Patmos, writes this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and locked and sealed it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. Then I saw thrones and those seated on them were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with them a thousand years. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, as we open up this uh, book of Revelation once again this morning, as we have in uh, previous weeks, it seems to have as many secrets as there are words. And so we pray for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit to be upon our hearts and upon these pages in your Holy Word. God, you have uh, given us these words to help us to be diligent in our study so that we will know what you would have us to understand and do. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha 
and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And we offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Well, opening up uh, the book of Revelation is like a stepping into a Lord of the Rings movie. It's got dragons and demons, horses and angels, mystical numbers and cosmic conflicts. And all this stuff is punctuated with blood and smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. But in Revelation chapter 20, the smoke clears and we see what's called a golden age of a thousand years. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but a thousand years appears five times in that passage in Revelation chapter 20 in only just six verses. But in fact, the word millennium is a Latin word, which means 1,000 years. And friends, discussions about the coming of Jesus again has been fighting words that have divided people of, of God for 1,000 years or more like 2,000 years. And there are basically three ways of interpreting Revelation chapter 20. Hang with me. Premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. Fasten your seatbelts because I'm going to try to explain the differences to you. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, John, why in the world is this really important? Well, I think as Christians, we need to know what people are thinking or reading about the end times. As Presbyterians, I think it's important for us just to study God's word in order for us to, to better respond theologically and hopefully prayerfully, lovingly to those things that people are wondering about without, without ever getting more specific than what the Bible says. So it would be ridiculous for me to stand here and speculate on things that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, what's the furniture in heaven going to look like? Or what's the temperature of hell? I don't know. These are matters that the Bible is silent on. There are questions that we simply can't get answered. And so we should not claim to have answers that we don't have or, and we'll never know. What we do need to know is what God has in store for us and for the world. And so this morning, for just a couple of minutes, I want to invite you to join me as we take a peek at the back of the book to see how the story ends. Pre-millennialists. Pre-millennialists, they believe that sometime in the future there is coming a thousand-year golden age that will come when the kingdom of God descends to earth and Jesus will reign as king from Jerusalem over all the nations. But before these thousand years, there's going to be a seven-year period of great tribulation during which there'll be famines and wars and earthquakes and other social chaos. And according to premillennialists, at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end, and that all depends upon if you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib person, it is believed that Jesus will come back and rapture, which literally means snatch up the faithful into heaven. Premillennialists are often staunch supporters of Israel. Out of the belief that the actions of the Jewish people in the various situations in the Middle East are the trigger events for the end times. Some people believe that events like 9-11, the war against terrorism, the bloodshed in the Middle East are catalysts for beginning the great tribulation that will bring about the end times. And despite all of our efforts and attempts to try to Christianize the world, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. 
And then the last days, the Antichrist will gain control of human affairs, instigate an intense persecution of the Jews, prompting the final battle of Armageddon in the land of Israel. And that at the height of this battle, Jesus Christ will return to inaugurate a golden age of a thousand years of peace on earth. I grew up in a pre-millennial church. The feeling of that church that I grew up in in New Jersey was that Jesus was going to return at any moment and take the faithful into heaven, and that was going to be sometime before my 16th birthday. Now, that was great news for a lot of people in the congregation. I want you to know that was not great news for me. I mean, Lord, could you at least wait until after I got my driver's license? Or how about after my first kiss? One Sunday night at the church, we watched a movie a Thief in the Night, I think it was made in 1972. And at that church in New Jersey, I gotta tell you, it was one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. People disappeared. The new world order was established. You had to have the 666 stamped on your forehead or on the back of your hand. I had nightmares about that movie for weeks, thinking that I might be left behind as Jesus came as a thief in the night. I think I might have accepted Jesus Christ into my heart three or four more times after that, just to be sure. And you know what? That's part of the problem with the Left Behind series. It it promotes this fear and disengagement, saying in essence, well, you know, since everything's just going to get worse and worse, it really makes no sense for any of us to sort of work for any kind of social change. The best that we can do is try to get a few more people into that salvation lifeboat before Jesus comes back. Pre-millennialists look at Revelation chapter 20 and they say Satan will be destroyed in two stages. First, he's gonna be bound in a sealed pit for a thousand years and that is going to allow the golden age of a thousand years to begin. After which he will, he will be released, but just for a short while. Start a brief uprising and then Satan will be cast into a lake of fire. Following this will be the general resurrection, followed by the last judgment, and finally a new heaven and a new earth will be created and the eternal realm of God will begin. That is pre-millennialism in a nutshell. With me so far? Clear enough, right? Post-millennialists, post-millennialists respond, you have got to be kidding. What is all this smoke and mirrors and mathematical equations and calculations about the end times, all this doom and gloom with beasts and dragons and persecutions? Those are just mere symbols from a long time ago. They say what awaits the world is the golden age of the millennium. It is not going to come through the pyrotechnical intervening hand of God. Instead, it's going to come through the faithfulness of good Christian people and the Christianization of the entire world through the spreading of the gospel. And as we teach and preach and spread the good news more and more, gradually the kingdom of God will come. So post-millennialists believe that we are going to enter an unparalleled uh, time of economic prosperity, disease, hunger, and crime are going to be virtually wiped out. The New York Giants will actually field a good football team. All the things that we could ever want or hope for are going to occur. One post-millennial hymn goes this way. God is working his purpose out as year succeeds the year. God is working his purpose out as time is drawing near. 
Near and near draws the time, the time that must surely be, when the earth shall be filled with the glory of, glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so while premillennialists see the world on this kind of nosedive towards disaster, postmillennialists say, uh-uh, we're on an elevator. We are gradually rising higher and higher and higher to the top of this great millennial plateau when we will all be together again. And then after this thousand-year preparation of peace and prosperity, Jesus will return post-millennium. Got it? 100 years ago, post-millennialism was very popular. There was this wonderful notion that through our efforts, through human progress, we could bring the kingdom of God down to earth. But you know, you don't hear a whole lot about post-millennialism anymore. What happened? World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, the loss of faith in human progress. Finally, ah, millennialism. That's the point of view that was first taught by our Presbyterian forefather, John Calvin. It's about the nearest thing that you're going to get to an official Presbyterian view of the end times. And it's this belief in the one return of Jesus Christ that will be swift, complete, and at an hour that no one will expect. And what amillennialism says, listen, why in the world do you want to get involved and too deep into all these elaborate theories when there is scarce biblical evidence of a millennium except in this highly symbolic book of Revelation? And that phrase, a thousand years, happens to be one of the most symbolic numbers in all the Bible. In fact, in Psalm 50, it says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, of course, we know it's not literally a thousand hills. God owns all the cattle in all the world. Or we sing that hymn that Janet has played many times, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. So does that mean we get in trouble if we only have 999 tongues? Or, or we're in trouble as a church if we get to 1,001 tongues? No, of course not. It is a symbolic number representing totality and vastness. So millennials believe that the millennium is not something to take place in the future, but that it is happening right now in the world and in the reign of Jesus Christ through the church. And that the number of thousand is a symbol for the fullness of time from the time that Jesus came as a baby born in Bethlehem to the time until that day, whenever that may be, when Jesus will return in glory. And so while there's this millennium going on in heaven as we speak, what the church is going through now is a great tribulation as we march through history. Now, if you want to embrace this amillennial view, the next piece of the puzzle for us then is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that jibes Revelation 20 with what you heard me read earlier from Jesus' lips in Matthew 25. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, What's going to happen next? Will there be a millennium? Doesn't say that. Jesus says, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations shall be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that what happens next is the second coming followed by the last judgment. Now, back to pre and post millennialists for just a moment. They look at this view and say, now, wait a minute, how can anyone look at the horrors going on in the world today and say with a straight face that Satan has been bound and gagged and is ineffective? 
Well, we actually get an answer to that question in Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. For what purpose was Satan bound? It said, so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. Now, before Jesus came, the first time, the nations were being deceived. They did not know God, all except for Israel. And Jesus said he came to bind the strong man and plunder his goods. And today, Satan does not deceive the nations. We, we have people who are coming to Jesus Christ from every corner of the globe. So Satan is bound for the purpose of the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of humankind, which is the first of the great ends of the church as it comes to us in the Presbyterian church. There's another appeal, I think, of amillennialism, and it's that, that Jesus is not coming someday to be made Lord, that Jesus is Lord right now, right here, today. Which means that we're already in the kingdom spiritually, and someday we're going to be there physically as well. So, amillennialism obviously has its attractiveness, but I will confess that there are days, and I know that you've had them too, and you turn on the news, you see those headline stories, and suddenly I turn into a premillennialist again. And I look, and I think, this is the sign of the times. It won't be long before Jesus comes back. But Jesus said, also said these words, keep awake therefore, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. There was a group of uh, Princeton seminary students who were playing basketball one afternoon at the seminary gym. And while they were playing ball in the afternoon, there was an elderly custodian who was sitting there. He was waiting for the group of students to finish so that he could lock up the gym. And on this one particular afternoon, there was a student who was running down the court and he looked over and he saw the elderly custodian reading a book. And he said, hey, what are you reading? The old man said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. Well, that student sort of chuckled and said, oh yeah? You think you understand it? The man said, I think I understand it pretty well. Well, this seminary student thought that was funny because he had taken a course at Princeton on Revelation in the original Greek language, and he still didn't understand it. So he said to the old man, he said, you think you're so smart? Tell me, what does it all mean? And the old man said softly, it means Jesus is going to win. That is just about the best commentary that you're ever going to hear on the book of Revelation. And friends, that's all we really need to know about the future. Jesus is going to win. The hope for the world, yesterday, today, and into the future is in Jesus Christ. And one day, in God's own timing, and in his own way, Jesus will return and make all things new. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we really have no way of knowing if we are the last generation of human history or if time will march on for another thousand years. But we know that Jesus is going to win. We know that Satan will be destroyed. 
We know that in the meantime, as we face trials and testings and illnesses, family problems, wars, economic uncertainty, personal failures, all these things that threaten to swallow us and make us lose hope. It is only through the certainty of the cross of your son that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can pluck us from the eternal grip of your love. And while we do not know what is ahead of us or in the future, we do know that Jesus is coming. And so, Lord, we stay awake and alert and await his coming with eager anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen.